gospel of the kingdom uh, for the last uh, six weeks. This is week seven. And, um, you know, the idea is, you know, the things I hope you remember is when you read about the kingdom of God in the scripture, and it's everywhere, um, that it's always talking about the rule and the reign of God, his authority to rule and to reign. And so all the verses, when you read about kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, that's the primary meaning. So when you see verses like, seek first his kingdom, what are we seeking? We're seeking his rule and his reign, his authority. When we pray, let your kingdom come on heaven, on earth as it is in heaven, what are we asking to come? His rule, his authority, his reign. Um, all of the verses and you see that has it, that as the primary meaning. So that's what we're looking at. We spent quite a bit of time talking about that. Then we went further and we talked about this age and the age to come. And we diagrammed it for you. I think there's a diagram on your notes. Again, just so you could hang on to that. And I want you to think about it. That this We, did, we talked about this age. This present age is uh, uh, sort of primarily, you know, it's, it's evil. The, the little g-god of this world is running around, our enemy. And um, he's keeping people. He's trying desperately to keep people blinded to the truth. But uh, uh, God has broken into this present evil age at the cross. Jesus has come. And so the, um, the age to come, which is, you know, perfect, uh, has broken in at some level at the cross. When Jesus comes back, the second time, he will consummate the kingdom in effect. And so we're, we're living in, I think I gave you the term a couple of times, an inaugurated eschatology. The, the, uh, what's to come is broken in, but the, so the kingdom is here but not fully here, which allows us to understand why um, we see miracles and we, we pray in faith for things to happen and we, we, we believe and we see them you know, happening sometimes, but there are things that aren't happening that we want to have happen because the kingdom is not fully here. And, 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 you know, I told you that people tend to sort of get on either ends with this. Either they think nothing is going to happen until we're um, with the Lord again, and, you know, that's all gone. Or everything should be happening right now, but it's not. It's a tension. We're, we're between the two ages. We're in the now and the not yet. And, and that we live in that tension. We don't like tension, but it's part of what we have to deal with uh, until Jesus comes back. And, and so um, having that understanding helps us sort of live this life and, and that we're called to, knowing that, 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 you know, the kingdom is here in part, but it's not fully here, but it is here, so um, we're, we're allowed to live in that whole process. Well, once you begin to take that in, uh, it sort of opens up all sorts of things. We've talked about the millennium and how that would fit in, and we, we've looked at a lot of different things in this study. What I thought I would end this uh, sort of course with is I, I wanted to talk a little bit, little bit about communion and how we do communion and what communion represents and how it's a great picture of sort of um, what happened when Jesus came the first time and what we're waiting for when he comes back. And that communion is really a reminder of that in lots of different ways. And it's also a reminder of some of the things that we've been talking about recently on Sunday nights as we've spent a lot of time on Sunday mornings, pardon me, uh, on the weekends talking about the exodus. And that um, uh, in the Exodus, the Exodus was prompted by an encounter between uh, Moses and Aaron, representing God, and Pharaoh. Uh, and that um, in order to convince Pharaoh to let the people of God go, there was a series of ten plagues. And, and each one was, you know, got worse and worse and worse. And um, finally, uh, it was the final plague, the plague on the firstborn, 
that uh, caused Pharaoh to change his mind, let the people of Israel go, and then we know he immediately had a change of heart and chased after him, but we know how that worked out. We've talked about it. But uh, Passover was a feast that was celebrated by the people of Israel every year as a reminder of what took place when they were set free uh, from slavery, the 430 years of slavery in Egypt. Remember, I said that's a constant theme in Scripture, being set free from slavery and bondage, moving into the promised land, and that the enemy is always trying to drag us back into slavery and bondage. That's what's happening. And there's life is on this side, in effect, of the Red Sea, and the enemy wants to keep us on this side, and so we need to be aware of that. But um, this celebration of Passover had a lot of very important symbols, and that every year they would go through this feast. If you've ever been to a Passover uh, celebration, and there was a lot of symbols to help the people of Israel remember what had taken place at the Exodus and how he had delivered, how God had delivered them from slavery. And, uh, and so it took ten plagues, and the final plague was the death of the firstborn, as I said. And Israel was protected from this plague by killing a lamb without defect, a perfect lamb, and putting its blood on the doorposts of their homes. And then death passed over uh, those homes that were covered in the blood of the lamb, and they were safe. Uh, and so they, were, they would celebrate Passover to remember that. Um, they would also celebrate the feast so that when Jesus did arrive on the scene, they would recognize that Messiah had come because he was going to be fulfilling these feasts. And we've talked about that at some level. But in particular, this Passover one, that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes uh, away our sin and his blood cleanses our sin and sets us free from the penalty of death. So not only it was a reminder of what had happened, but it was to prepare them for what Jesus would do and for them to see that, that you know, he had arrived on the scene. And remember, when John the Baptist sees him, you know, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that was Jesus. So in that Passover meal, there were all sorts of symbols, but there's two that we take for our communion celebration. And, and so I want to talk about that because it's our remembrance uh, that we have. And the two that we took are unleavened bread and um, the cups of wine. So the bread, uh, the significance of the bread is that it's his body. And when Jesus broke the unleavened bread in the Passover meal, he said this, Matthew 26, 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life, John 6, 35. Uh, he who comes to me will never go hungry and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. So Jesus is tying himself into um, these amazing symbols of bread that was going on. And so whenever we are celebrating communion, uh, you know, you'll see us over there early on, uh, and wh whosoever is presiding over that will take uh, a matzah to represent the body, and they'll, they'll, they'll break it. And then we, we celebrate it from there. Jesus did that. Now, he did that as part of a Passover celebration. And so he was, he was bringing this into the Last Supper at that time. And so he took and he said, this is my body. So he's making this amazing connection. Now, there's some things about the Passover tradition that I like that we sort of uh, take into us. When, when you watch them do communion over there, I don't know if, how closely you're watching, but over there on the table, whenever they're getting ready to take bread, to break it, they're using uh, an item like this, which is called a matzah tosh. 
And, and so now this is tradition. So you, if you're looking for a scripture for the Matatash, you're not going to find it. But in the Passover tradition, they've been handing down, handed down forever and ever. The, as they were celebrating Passover, they used one of these. And um, in the Matatash, there's three compartments. That's how they've always done it. And, uh, and they would use it in the Passover meal. And the bread would be in different spots for different places. But the place where Jesus stops in the Passover meal and takes the bread, he's taking it out of the middle section. So there's three sections, and he's taking the middle one out. Whenever you start to see things like that, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, guess which one comes out? It's the one representing the Son. That's Jesus. And this is my body, he says, broken for you. He's telling them what's about to happen on the cross. And for us looking back now, we understand that was taking place. So it comes out of the middle section. Another neat tradition. And this, so I told you they were doing these things so they could recognize Jesus when he came and what had happened. So a tradition that had become part of the ceremony is that when that piece of bread was broken in the ceremony, they would take half and they would spread that around and people would have a piece of it. The other half that was broken was wrapped in a white linen, which is fascinating, and it was called the afikomen. Kind of a funny name. It's like a dessert name. It wasn't dessert. It was just bread. But it was wrapped in a white linen, and the white linen was then, this piece of bread was hidden. They'd send the kids out of the room. And they would hide this in the room somewhere. And then they would bring the kids back in, and the kids would hunt for it. And whoever found it got a prize. It was a big deal for the kids to find it. So then you think, well, that's pretty cool. But now, now you know, Jesus, whose body was broken on the cross, um, when he was brought down from the cross, he was wrapped in white linen, and he was basically hidden away in a tomb. And uh, now whoever finds him gets a prize, which is eternal life. So those things are not there by accident. They're there on purpose so that we could see them. If you've been coming on the weekends, I keep I'm, I'm, I share a lot of stories with you about things that are there for us to see, and they've been there through the Scripture. So we have the amazing things happening with the bread in that picture. Now, the cups, when we're celebrating communion, are also very cool, and um, they're part of this Passover tradition that's been going on for lots and lots of years. Um, and the first cup is known as the cup of sanctification. If you're ever watching us do communion, you'll hear us say that. The cup of sanctification and the cup of plagues have been sorted. So it starts with the cup of sanctification, and who's ever leading the Passover thing uh, would in effect say that God is saying to his people, I will bring you out um, this, this cup of uh, sanctification. And it's a picture of this ever-going story I bring you out of slavery and bondage, darkness and death. So uh, in the meal, that first cup was poured and celebrated during the Passover meal. Then at another point in the meal, the second cup would happen. There'd be a second cup of wine poured that they would they would share. And uh, it was known as the cup of plagues. And what would happen is that point is the leader of the Passover service would begin to recount the redemption story. Um, this period of time is known as the telling and it goes over the whole redemptive drama from the patriarchs to Moses to Pharaoh to the plagues and the deliverance from Egypt. So all of the people of Israel would hear this at least once a year in the midst of this celebration, and they would have their entire story of what had happened, the, the one that we've been talking about lately, the Exodus story, but with it, the creation account and the account of the patriarchs and the things that we've talked about in Genesis. That would be part of their yearly story that would happen at this meal and it was all part of the deal, and it was, it was always told, and it was always a part of it. 
The third cup, so that cup, that redemptive story would begin. The third cup was called the cup of redemption. So in the Passover meal, this cup of redemption would come. Now, in our Passover, in our communion story, when Jesus is doing the Last Supper, it's with this third cup that, that he sort of institutes communion. And he takes this third cup, the cup of redemption, and he institutes communion with it. And uh, so he, he the, the whole sort of traditional Passover shifts at that point in the Last Supper because it, it, it brings in another sort of amazing uh, picture that happens. So what would happen in, uh, in Jesus' time in, in first century Galilee when it was time for a man and a woman to marry, um, in effect, both sort of fathers would negotiate a bride price. And, and, uh, and so a price was paid for the bride because uh, the, the bride would be a precious loss to her family. And, and, and so, um, so there was going to be a, a this, this price was negotiated, a, a bride price, okay? And then the groom, the potential groom, he would, he would bring a cup of wine into this um, process, and he would drink from the wine. And then um, it, it would, it, and symbolically it's saying, I want to make a covenant with you that, that in effect, the groom would be willing to give his life for her. And, and so then it was offered to the potential bride. Um, if the bride took the, she still had the option not to drink. Even after all the negotiations had happened, the bride could still say no. Um, she could say, no, this isn't a good fit, or whatever. She could choose not to, but, but uh, most likely she was going to take, and she was going to take from that same glass, and she was going to drink from that glass. And when she did that, it sealed the engagement, and she was referred to from that moment on as one who was bought with a price, not in a bad way. It was just that this groom saying, I would give my life for you, and the, everybody had negotiated this price in the process. So uh, at that point, she would be distinguished then as an engaged woman. Um, and, and so that basically they were, in effect, married at that point, but the, the actual consummation of the marriage wouldn't happen yet. And so when Jesus, when he gets to this cup in the, in the Passover celebration, the third cup, in Luke 22, uh, this is what he tells the disciples. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. In effect, what he's doing is making a marriage proposal. Uh, remember, Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. And what Jesus is ultimately saying is, I'm, I'm going to pay a bride price for you. Um, and he's about to go to the cross. He's going to pay the supreme price in the process. But uh, in effect, what he's saying is, listen, you know, I, I, I love you as, as a bride. I'll pay the bride price. I'll, I'll give up my life for you. And then... Um, what he's going to do is he's going to go to his father's house and prepare a place for us. So in the, in the early, in the first century, well, let me read you the scripture. John 14, 1 through 3. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. And, and Paul uses the same sort of uh, picture of this bridegroom and bride situation. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20. Um, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So um, 
Paul was reminding Jesus believers that they were, his, his in effect, his brides to be, waiting for the day when he would return to take them home. And, and so not knowing when that was going to happen, they were to make preparations immediately so they wouldn't be caught unprepared. All right, so here's what would happen. This, this deal would happen, and the, the wine had been exchanged, and if it was accepted and drank, in effect engaged, married, betrothed. Um, but then the next part of the deal was the groom would go back to the father's house and prepare a place for them. So in first century uh, Galilee in particular, they lived in, they were known in insulas. These were clusters of buildings, uh, and, and so the, the families would stay in this area, and generally they would have a central sort of courtyard, and then as the family expanded, each one would build their own little place to live, uh, and they would stay that way together in, in a family. So when um, groom had a, now, now he has a potential bride, he's, he's in effect, you know, betrothed, he's got to go back and make a place for his bride. So um, he would build a place. This process would generally take about a year. And, and it, the, the neat thing is it was the father who determined when the place was ready, not the groom. Because most grooms would be anxious to and get their brides, would come running home, throw down a sleeping bag, ready, honey, and <laughs> here we go. So it didn't work that way. The, the father would be the one who would examine everything and would then say, okay, it's ready now, you can go and get your bride. So the father is the one who determines that, not the, the groom. And then um, the, uh, the son would, like I said, once he had the, the father's okay, uh, he would go back after his bride. Now, um, so there's more analogies of Jesus coming back here. So in Matthew 24, 20, 36, it says that no one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the Father knows. So Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he's basically proposed to the church their communion, and we accept it. And every time that we go back and remember, we're reminding ourselves that we've accepted this thing, we're supposed to be ready, that he's coming back at any point in time. All we're waiting for is the Father to say, go. And Jesus is sitting on wait, wait he's ready, and he's preparing a place for us. He's just waiting on that. So when the son uh, in the natural finally had his father's uh, permission, he would travel to the bride's village and then he would blow the shofar. And the bride would hear that and know that her wedding day had arrived. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with a trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. So we're, we're waiting on that process. You know, so we, we know He's come the first time. The second time, there's all these pictures in place of what's happening, and that He's gone to prepare a place for us because He proposed to us, and we, the disciples accepted on our behalf there at the Last Supper, and we continue to accept every time that we take communion, and we're waiting for Him to come back. Now, when we do communion up there, we always have a fourth cup. I don't know if you've ever noticed, and we never pour anything into that fourth cup. Um, in, in a Passover meal, they would have an empty cup generally, uh, but not for the same reason that we do. So symbolically, we leave that fourth cup here. Now you're, for this, you're kind of hitting into a Steveism, but it's okay. I like pictures. 
Matthew 26, 29. I tell you, Jesus said, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So we leave that fourth one empty as a picture of the time when Jesus comes to get us and we're going to share that one with him at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19, 7 through 9. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb is coming. His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he said, These are the true words of God. Jesus is the bridegroom. We're the bride waiting for his return. We're to be waiting wisely. Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Here's a parable. At that time, the kingdom of heaven, the rule and the reign and the authority of God, will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but didn't take any oil. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lambs. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on the way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others came, Sir, sir, they said, Open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So, great parable, but the people at the time would understand it. As I said, it usually took about a year for the bridegroom to return. Part of the tradition had become that the groom would try to return and surprise the bride. Uh, kind of added to the whole romance of the thing, I guess. But he would try and sneak back and uh, would often come, you know, in the nighttime and they would give them a little heads up by when they got close, they would blow that shofar. They knew it was ready, but they needed to be ready to go at a moment's notice. They needed to live ready. The brides needed to be ready, the bride and, and the attendant, ready to go when that shofar happened and they weren't going to know ahead of time. They sort of had to live ready. And, and so when the Lord comes for us, see, we're to be living ready. Um, the, the symbol of the oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So we're to be living ready. We're to be filled with the Holy Spirit and we're to believe and understand that He's coming back for us any point in time. We're to be ready to go. And we're to live like that. Now, you know, we live in this tension. We're, we're to live, this is a fascinating tension, like He's not coming back for a while, but that He could come back at any moment. So, and there's, a, there's something very important about living like that. Because He could, in His mercy, tarry, a while longer. He's already been 2,000 years. But he could be back at any second. And every part of the church has had to live under that tension that Jesus could come back at any moment. It keeps us uh, in a place where we experience life. And, and uh, it keeps us aware of what's happening. So we're to stay filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the whole picture. We're to, we're to stay focused. We're to live for Him. We're to understand that's where life is from. And we're to honor Him while we wait in, in doing what He commanded us to do. Matthew 28. 17 through 20. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So you get back to that diagram. Jesus is telling us 
the power of the age to come is broken in. He's with us. He'll be with us until the end of not only this age, but all ages. He's always going to be with us. And so we have that promise and we understand that's what's happening. So we live in this amazing tension. And when, when we take communion, it's a picture of those things. So when, whenever you take communion, and we offer communion every weekend, um, I do that on purpose. I think it's very important. Um, and I think it's just this amazing reminder of what he's done and what he's promised to do and that he's coming back for us. And it keeps us sort of in, in the place where we need to live, live, live for him and experience life. So whenever you see that going on, now you sort of have a pretty good understanding of what's happening and how it ties back in to everything that we've been looking at here in the gospel of the kingdom. So there you go. There's a whole other level of stuff for you to think about. But uh, I'm good there. So uh, if you're watching my video, thanks for watching. Appreciate you doing that. And uh, come and join us when you can. And if you're watching this on the Institute website all over the world, thank you. We'll see you guys. All right. Bye. Okay. So if you have prayer requests, pass them up to me. And I will pray for you. We'll call it an evening. So every time I say we'll call it an evening, at everything, whenever we do this, I'm always reminded of this story. And then I don't know if I'm going to do it right, but I'm going to do it. So he's, it was a monastery. And it was supposed to be, they were all supposed to be silent. Here, Barry, will you take this? They were all supposed to be silent in this monastery, and they had started talking, and so the head monk was finally frustrated. He said, look, we're going to stop all the talking. Here's the only thing. In the morning, I'll, I'll come through, and I'll say morning, and you can all say morning. And then at night, I'm going to come through, and I'm going to say evening, and you can all say evening. That's it. No more talking. Done. Okay. So, uh... He comes through, and, and he's in the process, and he comes in the next morning, goes morning, and they all chant back morning. He comes that night, and he chants back evening, evening. Um, they seem to be in a flow for a few days, and then he, he comes in uh, one morning, and he says morning. And he listens, and something's not right, and he goes, wait, someone chanted evening. You will meet a stranger. So anyway, whenever I say good evening here, that I think about that every week. Someone chanted evening. That's my life. Welcome to it. Okay. Got them all? Let's pray. Papa, thank you for your goodness to us. You're such an awesome God. Um, we lift these requests up to you, Father. We pray for Vicki, Paulette, Lord, just blessing in their lives. Uh, healing, Lord, for you know, Melissa, Kathy, David, Dottie, Nancy, Jamie, Isabel, Gregory, Joanne, Ashley, Kim, 
Cindy, bless them all, Father. Healing for Richard, Becky, Mike, Wayne. God, blessing, Lord, on a house that needs to be fixed and just move into that whole process, God. We pray, Lord, for our nation, our military, our government, um, all their families, Lord, and ask that you would be with them and bless them and keep them safe. The healing, Lord, for Colleen. Comfort, peace, and healing for uh, Joe, Bob, Butch, Jim, Colleen, Nita, Alan, Debbie, Ross, Patsy. Um, Lord, we pray for Sal, who wants to move back, and ask that you would open doors for him. We pray for the unspoken requests, Lord. You know what they are. We pray for our families, our friends, our coworkers, our community. We ask, God, that you would bring renewal, revival, and breakthrough to this area, that hundreds and thousands of people would come to know you as our Lord and Savior. We pray for every church in this area, God, where your word is preached. Ask that you would bless them abundantly with everything they need to fulfill the mission you've given them. We ask for your continued abundant blessing on us, God, to fulfill the mission you've given us of one more. Just one more lost child back to you, Dad. Just one more. Thank you so much for including us in your story. Here in this time and place, you are such an awesome God. And may the Lord bless and keep you. May His face shine upon you. May He be gracious to you and give you peace. And go tonight in the peace, the power, and the love of God. God bless you all. Thank you for being here. We'll see you soon. Come back on a weekend. Bye. If you're coming to Saturday Night Dinner Church, it's Cuban. Cuban pork, uh, arroz con pollo, chicken and rice. You like that? It sounds better. Arroz con pollo.